Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD Plus. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day, which we know that's what you were waiting for, right? Is, is that if you've ever wondered why you can't tickle yourself, there's an answer. I, I wonder about this ah. at night, right? And researchers think they figured it out. It's that when we intend to make a movement, the brain sends a command to the muscles to make the movement, and it also predicts what you're going to feel before it actually happens. When the prediction and the sensation are the same, then the brain says, oh, I was expecting that, and it subdues the nerve response. And that's why you can't tickle yourself. But you could ask someone like uh, Stella Grisant, who's our guest today, to tickle you maybe. Uh, Stella, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. I, I doubt you cool actually. Cool fact. Uh, thank you. I doubt you <laughs> offer tickling services in, in the suite of what you do, but I was just putting you on the spot there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I don't offer tickling yeah. services. <laughs> Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. For longtime listeners of Bulletproof Radio will recognize Stella's name because Stella's been on the show before. And she's the founder and CEO of WUPA, which is W-O-O-P-A-A-H, because, well, spelling WUPA is not that easy. 
And she's basically helps people and companies uh, flourish, for lack of a, a better, more bulletproof word. But still is kind of a badass, as in Google, Johnson & Johnson, Columbia University, and a bunch of other universities are using her stuff for workplace culture and engagement and well-being. And I invited Stella on the show today to talk about how you can quit hating your job. <laughs> because so many people hate their jobs. And here we have an expert in the Bulletproof community who knows what you can do to, even if your job isn't what you want it to be, to at least stop hating it. Because when you stop hating stuff, you actually have a lot more energy. Um, yeah. The other thing about Stella that's cool is she's one of the first 150 people in the world to get an actual master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, which, as everyone knows, is superior to like Harvard and places like that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might guess that I went to Wharton, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, and that, what's that other school with pine trees and stuff in, in the Bay Area? I, I don't remember some other school. Uh, Stella, you've been like all over the media, like the Today Show and Vanity Fair and ABC News and stuff. So you're, you're pretty much famous about how to like make people happy. So like, how can people be more happy? <laughs> oh, good question. So, um, well, when it comes to work, so we'll talk about work um, in general today. Mm -hmm. When it comes to work, there's lots of people who, who we know are miserable at work. And what I find is that um, without even knowing it, subconsciously people are sabotaging their own happiness at work. And it usually happens um, in three ways. So the first way I find people are sabotaging themselves is by complaining. So I know that maybe your boss is a total prick or maybe your commute is hellish or maybe you have way too much work. But when we complain, we are actually activating what, what's called our negativity bias. And our negativity bias is our brain's natural instinct to focus on anything that's bad, wrong, or threatening. And it's kind of like Velcro to our attention. So when we're complaining, we're basically just activating that negativity bias. Our attention can only stay on all the stuff that sucks. And then we can't really see the bigger picture. And our attention is so narrowed. It's kind of like we have tunnel vision. We're not able to see solutions uh, outside of, you know, the shitty stuff we're focusing on. So when we complain, we're not just stating what's wrong. We're actually infusing our observation with negative energy and emotion. So I could very easily say, hey, um, you know, it's hot outside today. Or I could say, oh my God, it's so hot. So we can say the same thing. We can still note when things are not right, but we don't necessarily have to feel them entirely and bring ourselves down. What, what happens if someone says, oh, this heat is killing me? Like, like, what's the effect of that? Well, I think words are really important. Words are really important. Um, so I... I'm very cautious of my words. So killing me, um, I'd, I'd rather not say that. I am, uh, but I would say, oh, this it's hot outside. I mean, that is, that is a true observation. It is hot. I, I've been working with my kids on this. You know, they're, they're six and eight. And um, let's see, the, the other day, my, my daughter was, was running a lemonade stand. And she'd picked up from, uh, uh, from a babysitter. Like whenever someone didn't stop, she's like, oh, those annoying people. And I'm like, Anna, 
like you could say that those are annoying people. You could say, I don't like it that they don't stop. Like which of those is true? And she's like, well, actually, you know, and, and then you, you go into it and, and that led me to just thinking about how like every day you tell yourself all these lies and yeah. complaining is usually a lie, isn't it? I mean, I'm asking you that, but it's my theory. Well, um, I don't know if it's a lie because I think truth is very subjective. Fair point. So it's what do you want to choose to believe in what's going to support your well-being at work. So if you want to be happier, you can choose to believe that people are annoying or you can choose to believe that hmm, they seem like they're in a rush and maybe they have something going on. Maybe their own daughter is doing a lemonade uh, is selling something, you know, on the street and selling her own lemonade and they're trying to rush to get her lemons. Like, we don't know what's going on. We never know the full picture. So um, if you just, you know, if you, you observe the, the objective experience and don't make any assumptions about what you don't know, then you're probably going to stay in a more lighter place um, I always yeah. try to assume that they have someone in the back of the car, like with projectile leprosy, and they're driving to the <laughs> hospital really quick, because then you're like, man, I'm glad I'm nowhere near that car. Right? And you win, right? <laughs> I kind of do the same thing. <laughs> I haven't thought about the leprosy piece, but I'm like, oh, maybe their wife is giving birth right yeah. now. <laughs> that, that's yeah. probably a more positive one, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say what I do for people who, um, one of the first things when people uh, start to work with me, I tell them to go on a complaint vacation. Nice. So take seven days, observe your thoughts and just notice when you're about to like leap into complaining and just say, Hey, I'm on a complaint vacation and divert your attention. Um, uh, you don't, it, it's not about ignoring what's wrong because if there is a problem, you want to pay attention to it, but you just don't have to infuse it with all this intense, vile, anger, negative stuff. Um, negative emotion isn't bad, but we don't have to compound it essentially. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't have to, to double down on it. I, I hear you there. So, yeah. Let's talk about your work happiness method specifically, because that was kind of the first step there. We're like, okay, stop complaining about your job, yeah. right? So, all right, let, let's say, and I'll tell you about a job I had. A lot of people don't know this. Okay. Uh, for five years, I put auto parts in boxes. Okay, this was the most horrible job ever, but it paid really <laughs> well during summers. And I started a t-shirt company, and, and I like, managed to pay my tuition, but I worked my ass off all summer, like wearing, yeah. you know, picking up boxes of heavy stuff. And that was like my emergency fallback. So... I could have complained a lot about that job because, well, let's face it, it wasn't the, the best job ever. In fact, I probably did complain a lot about that job. <laughs> so what, like, what should I have done to be more satisfied with what was just a hellish job in a 100-degree warehouse full of auto parts? Uh, great, great question. So um, uh, Amy Rogensky uh, from Yale did some really cool research on how we can think about our, our jobs and or our work. And she found that, that there's three ways that we can look at our work. One is just to see our work as a job, as a way to pay the bills, which is what, what, what it was doing for you. Another way to look at it at work is it's part of my career trajectory. So I'm doing this in order to grow, gain power, influence, make more money. Um, the third way that we could look at our work is as if it's a calling and so that it's contributing to something bigger than ourselves. So any job, even working in a warehouse, moving auto parts when it's 100 degrees, 
you can find a way to look at it differently. And so, you know, if you want to think about it as how is this contributing to something bigger than me and, and how is this helping the world or someone um, be better off, maybe those auto parts are, you know, helping people move from place A to B. And that's important because there may be someone who has leprosy who needs to get into <laughs> a hospital or someone who's giving birth and they need to get to the doctor really quick. So, um, so you are playing a vital role in helping people, helping economies, helping um, the world move. So I know that may feel like a little bit of a leap but you could also bring it down to, hey, do I like my buddies at work? Do we like crack good jokes? And do I look forward to talking to people, you know, at work? So it, maybe it's even just helping your coworkers smile. That also is making a difference. So you get to choose how you look at your work. And um, you don't have to be saving lives in order to feel a sense of meaning. Uh, it's, it's very true. No one would eat if we didn't have auto parts, right? I yeah. I can tell you at the time, the the general feeling was, all right, this is paying, uh, this is paying for college, so it doesn't really matter how much it sucks. Uh, but I I'm bored, so I'll I'll just make up stuff. And and this is I was young, I was pretty egotistical, and I ended up, um, they had some some award for process improvement, or like if you could suggest a way to do something better in the warehouse, and there were enough suggestions, then everyone would get a bonus. So I was like, I could do that. So I made 20 suggestions in a month and everyone got like a 5% bonus that month. And then they changed, yeah, there well, you go. Yeah, then they changed the program to make it harder. I'm like, ah. <laughs> so then you made it worse for everyone. I, I gamed the system so everyone got a bonus and then it didn't work. Um, but some of them were, were good. But uh, in retrospect, if someone had told me the advice that you're giving me right now, and I'd say for people listening, this is really legitimate advice. No matter how absolutely crappy your job is now, there's a reason someone's paying you to do it and because it contributes to something, it contributes to something, it contributes to something. So if you're playing a small part in doing something meaningful, even if it's just a small part, someone had to play that part, it's better to look at it that way than it is to say, this job sucks and you know my boss is evil and blah, blah, blah. Those all may be true, but you don't have to dwell on it, right? Is that basically what we're saying? Yes, yes, right. yes. And I think another important point is if we blame our jobs for being unhappy, like if you say, oh, my job sucks and my life is miserable, then it is very likely that no matter where you go, if you switch jobs, you get a new role, you start your own business, you're going to find yourself miserable again unless you do some inner work and figure out what you really want. So it's like no matter where you go, there you are. And so it's really critical if you're finding yourself blaming your job for being miserable in general, that you do some inner examination because it's not your job. There will always be something. And probably what you're facing now is not the first time you're feeling what you're feeling. So it's really important to look within because often we're just trying to escape what's uncomfortable and what sucks. And we're not really doing the hard work of looking inward and being like, what do I really want instead of what do I not want? So this yeah. this is starting to sound a little bit airy fairy to some people listening to this today. Sure, I understand. I know I know your audience. <laughs> right, okay, so okay, how do I not know what I want? Like you know, I I want like plenty of money. You know, I, I want a whatever. You know, I, I want a Tesla and you know grass fed beef and lots of butter. All right, so 
there's more to That's your fair. there's more to your point than yeah. you know. I want some physical things. Are you asking people what they want? You're asking like, what's their mission? Like, like yeah. It seems like well, want is such a varied thing. Like, I want all sorts of stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah. So want, I would say, is what is it that's going to bring you a sense of deep. Um, a deep sense of flourishing, well-being, fulfillment. So, so not mm-hmm. so it's a little bit more bigger than you know what's my desire right now. And in positive psychology, when we talk about flourishing, there's actually five main drivers to flourishing. So one is feeling good. One is just like positive emotion. Another one is feeling really engaged, feeling present, feeling in the flow, which is what you did when you gained the system. You're like, how do I take this miserable, boring situation and make it fun for me? Another one are the relationships that we lead and then a sense of meaning and then a sense of achievement. So that's kind of like if we bundle those things, then we have a sense of well-being or flourishing. And so when it comes to, when I say, what do you really want? I'm, I'm really referring to a want with a du- capital W, which is what's really going to make you feel most alive. And a car, a car may do that for you um, in one aspect of, of what it is that you're seeking, but there's probably more to the more to that. Well, a, a Buddhist perspective or just a, a more someone who's done some time doing their, their yeah. meditation or just some inner awareness work, the vast majority of what people want with a small W uh, isn't what they want with a capital W, the way you're defining yes. it. So in other words, what you want probably isn't what's going to make you kick the most ass or flourish or thrive or whatever the right, the right words are for you. Uh, how would someone listening to this, sitting, let's say, in a dead-end office job, just listening to Bulletproof Radio every day, which is the only bright part in their otherwise completely horrible existence? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no complaining here. But okay, so let's say someone has you know a dead-end desk job. They're not happy with it, and they're like, okay, I don't know what's going to make me happy, but I know that I, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to want all these different things, and you know, I want the Tesla, even though I don't have to drive very much or wh- whatever. What, what would you tell that person? So that they can figure out what's going to make them flourish versus make them, you know, just like have another big screen TV or whatever it is. Yes. Good question. So the very first thing I do with my clients is I have them do some vision work to give them permission to really dream. And I specifically I take them step by step and guiding them through a series of questions to help them see that well-rounded definition with the capital W. So, you know, some immediate answers when you ask people what comes to mind, they'll think of the car or they'll think of dating a hot person. Um, Mm -hmm. But we need to make sure that you're looking at things holistically and often you're not aware of what you need to be asking yourself. So I have a step-by-step vision exercise, I call it the vision generator, to help you actually begin to see what your life may look like when you are feeling totally alive with a capital A. (laughs) So um, actually, and for anyone who's watching, I um, am happy to make that available or listening, happy to make that available to you because I think this is just essential uh, to really helping you in your very first step to developing your definition of success and your sense of well-being and happiness. So um, I'm happy, bulletproofers, for you guys to um, do that. And it's a 30-minute exercise. 
And can I tell them where they can get it? Or oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm, I mean, this isn't an infomercial, but you're giving away a free thing for people, so absolutely tell them where they can get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's it's. I mean, I I. This is the first thing I do with people. Um, yeah. It's uh, if you go to workhappinessmethod.com/vision. So workhappinessmethod.com/vision, and you can download the. Um, the vision generator, because that's the very first thing you should do. Instead of just focusing on what sucks, really generate, you know, give yourself permission to dream and to really see, you know, what it is that's going to make you come most alive. So, um, and when I have, just to give you a sense of some things that I have people consider, it's not just enough to be passionate about what it is you're doing. So passion is great and everybody thinks you have to be passionate that's true. That's one piece of it. But you also have to think about, you know, feeling purposeful, feeling like you're contributing to something bigger, thinking about the people you're going to be working with, the people that you're serving, thinking about the process in which you do your work and thinking about, you know, the money as well. So those are all important. So I guide you in kind of figuring that out. Yeah. If that sounds a little bit uh, woo woo to someone, it's not. So I, I do this program called Strategic Coach with uh, with Dan Sullivan, who's taught. Do you know Dan? I I know I know Strategic Coach. Yeah. Okay, and and so this is, uh, I'm in like their senior entrepreneur program uh, yeah. that has a different name. But there's like there's guys in there running companies with like hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Like these are like entrepreneurs. Where I'm like, can you tell me how you did that? Like this is amazing stuff. And Dan's for 40 years taught people. He has a similar exercise where he's taking these really, really successful people and saying, like, what do you want your future to look like and how do you visualize it? Because otherwise, you don't have a direction. And, like, when we do 40 Years of Zen, the neurofeedback program that I do with, uh, with CEO clients, same thing. You sit down, you put electrodes on your head, and you visualize that future, even if it's incredibly big and badass, because that's the direction you're going to head. And you've got a free exercise for people that does the same thing. And if you haven't done this, and I'm just saying for everyone listening, if you've never sat down and done like, well, if I had everything where I, I would want it to be for me to be really happy, where is that? What does it look like? And even more importantly, what does it feel like? Then you're totally missing out. So download this tool and we'll put the URL in the show notes. In fact, say it one more time Great. so people can get it. I, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the URL? Just say it one more time. Oh, what's the, oh sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's workhappinessmethod.com slash vision. Okay. So uh, we'll make sure that everyone can get that, that kind of thing because uh, I'm happy you, you said that. So if you're in a crappy job, the first thing to do is be like, if, not if I wasn't in my crappy job, but if I was in like the perfect state of kicking ass, what would, what would my life look like? What would it feel like? And then, then you can chart a path to get there. Yes. So okay. I can tell you what we would do next. Do you want me to tell yeah, you what? Yeah, please. Okay. So after you create that vision, which really stretches your imagination, I tell people this is a practice to just like, massage your imagination because so often when things suck, you're thinking from a very limited perspective and you're not seeing all the possibilities. So after you create this sense of possibility, you're excited about what life can look like for you, then what we do is we scrape that vision and what we want to do is look for what are your, your values. And it's essential to know your values because those are the guiding principles for your behavior. That is what influences how you make decisions. Often people don't examine their values and basically they're living by values that they've absorbed by, you know, their colleagues, their peers, their parents, 
their community. And so you're making decisions that are not aligned with what it is you want with a capital W. And you're just running on automatic. And so it's really critical to make conscious decisions about what it is that matters to you. How do you want to exist and operate in this, you know, in, at work, in life? And so, um, so we go through a, a seven-step process to help you figure out your values so that you want to figure out your values. What are the three most popular values? There's no... Um, <laughs> there has do, to be an answer. <laughs> okay, I wanted to say there are no popular values, but I, I have noticed some patterns. Yeah, what, what are the big ones? Okay. Like In other words, can I copy off your sheet? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, when I have people do values, I have mm -hmm. them you know, do a, a, a kind of a brain dump of their values, but then we go and we rank them. That's really important cool. to rank because you're inevitably going to find a, a conflict like that you know, where you have to choose. And so you need to know how you rank things so that you can make a decision and make a right decision. So I find what surprises people all the time when they do this work is how much people matter. So I've had a woman, very, very successful senior exec at a very well-known technology company um, who was just like, get me out of here. She was ready to quit, ready to give up her stock options, which were about to vest in four months. She's oh, wow. like, I will leave money on the table. Get me out of here. But she did not know how to start thinking about what she really wanted. She's like, I've never asked myself what work will make me happy. I'm just really good at what I do, and I've just found things that I do well. And so what we did, we did this work. We did the vision work. We did the values work. And what she was so shocked um, to realize is how much people matter to her and that what she really wanted to do was work with nice people who were smart and interesting. And, and once she realized that it set her free and she was able to actually then go find another department to work in and she didn't have to leave money on the table and she's really happy, but she didn't wow. know that before. She thought it was the industry. She was ready to leave her whole company but she just needed to find a different group of people that she liked. It's, it's interesting that a lot of people don't know what they want with a capital W because they've been told what they're supposed to want and they believe yeah. that they want what they're supposed to want. Can you like unpack that for me? This is coming from your, you know, your blog and all that. Like, so when I'm preparing to interview you, I look at that yeah. stuff. So yeah. what, is, what is this like wanting what you've been told to want versus wanting what you want? Yeah, yeah. So, well, when we think about um, being successful, it usually involves, um, you know, working really hard and making a certain amount of money, um, having a certain type of title, whether, you know, you're an exec or you're a founder, um, you have a certain type of, you know, car, certain type of, like, lifestyle. And so you work really hard to achieve that. And most of the people I work with are very, quote, unquote, successful. And they're like, they arrive, they have it all. And they're like, why am I still feeling like shit? And so when there's a disconnect between having it all, quote, unquote, of, you know, that version of success where you work hard, you have a good title, you're being promoted, you have the stuff in your life, you may even have the people in your life. So from the outside, it looks like you have it all, but on the inside, you're like, is this it? Because 
this, this isn't enough. And so the reason why there's a disconnect is because most likely you are not operating in alignment with what's most important to you. Now, what's so cool is that when you do this values work, you just are, you're able to shift perspective enough to look at things differently. You may realize that's all you needed to do was to look at things differently and you're able to actually appreciate all you have. So if this sounds a little bit, uh, esoteric to people, yeah. I'll apply this to my own life, right? When I was 26, I was totally miserable, uh, and I made six million bucks. And I was like, that should make me happy, except it totally didn't. But yeah. being in Silicon Valley at the time and not having done any of my own like self-awareness work, I'm like, well, obviously that's because I just didn't quite have enough money. $10 million is definitely gonna do it. So <laughs> I, I, and like, what I do, I lost the $6 million two years later because I was like, stubborn and like just not not being aware of what I had and what it, I, I like knew oh, I'm probably set for life I'm gonna go get a degree in something I don't know about like you know life's gonna be a party but all I was doing was working and, and I was truly not happy and a reframing would have probably changed what I did financially because I hadn't done the kind of work you're talking about so I would encourage people at any age if you haven't sat down and really figured out what you know, what values matter to you and you know what your mission is that sit down yeah. and do this kind of work um, yeah, I just it's, going back. I wish someone had told me all this crap. <laughs> me too. Me too. I I I went through a huge Netflix addiction. Like lost tons of business opportunities. I mean, felt sorry for myself for for a good amount of time because I wasn't doing this inner work myself. So I um, I wish I had it too. Wait I mean, eventually I I did, but. I thought Netflix was a vitamin. You're telling me it's addictive? <laughs> oh my God. I, I got to change that blog post. Oh my God. I went through a period where I watched 30 Rock and Frasier <laughs> twice. Oh, <laughs> twice. Wow. Because I, I, was try, I was avoiding the truth and I, wasn't, I was afraid to admit to myself that I was unhappy in, in how I was doing what I was doing. And so I had to really take this medicine myself and that's why I'm so passionate about it because I don't want people wasting their time wasting lots of money in you know going off investing in different businesses or even finding a job that you know you don't like and it's a lot of wasted time and energy when you're just doing unexamined stuff so it, it takes a lot of courage though to do what you're talking it about does. Oh my so God. You were sitting yeah. there watching Netflix, and it's just easier to watch 30 Rock than it yeah. is to sit down and be like, oh my God, I'm not happy. But to, to be happy, I'm going to have to quit my job, you know, change my relationships, uh, you know, move to a new country, whatever the heck it's going to take. Uh, most people don't muster that kind of courage. I mean, the evidence <laughs> we have is that they don't do it. How would someone listening to this going, all right, number one, this is this show is irritating me right now, which is it's a good sign. That <laughs> means that we like which is like making you pay attention and some part of you is uncomfortable, which means, oh funny, you're probably not happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's say that they, they're still listening, they didn't just like throw their iPad across the uh, yeah. across the, the <laughs> office there. Um, so how do you muster the courage to then say, All right, I'm gonna actually sit down and, and without lying to myself, talk about or have that inner journal, whatever you do to say, this is what actually makes me happy? Well, it's, I, I will say it is hard and it's hard to do alone. So, um, so that, I mean, I actually got my own coach and you have your coach and I think we all need someone 
who can support us in this journey and help us see the forest through the trees. Because it's hard, even when you're very self-aware, to do this work alone. So I I have a coach, and I totally believe in in, in getting a coach. And um, so I think being on the journey with someone is very helpful. And, and you know, obviously, that's what I do. Um, so that's one thing. But also, I think once you're just once you have the awareness that something's got to change. It's, you know, you can deny it, but it will get louder and louder. Oh, yeah. And, right? It will get, and like you faced this, you lost the $6 million, right? And so, like, you probably kept getting these signs that something's got to change. And even your story physically, like, you know, the the gaining the weight and, like, you're like, you you had this, aha. So... Our bodies are often really good signals that something's got to change. I work with a, uh, a very successful CEO who has a multi-million dollar business, and her, her carpal tunnel is so bad, her yeah. doctor's like, you should not be driving. And so that was her awakening to something's got to change. Um, so you can choose to be proactive and listen and choose to take action, or you can wait until the signs get really loud. Um, and so uh, it is cur- courageous, but you have that courage. Everyone has the courage. Everyone is a lot more amazing and powerful than they give themselves credit for. Um, and so if you just make the decision, I'm gonna, I'm really gonna look at what it is that I really want, capital W, and I'm gonna do something about it, that is the first step. And you, uh, you'd recommend a life coach or an executive coach as a way to hold you accountable to help you on the courage front. Yes, yes, so, I do think that's a good first step. Friends are great, but um, friends and family, even though they love you, sometimes have an agenda. Um, and they're not trained in that. Like they're like, not trained. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have a, a coaching practice, and I'm assuming you're still accepting new coaching clients. So people listening, I'm sure if, if they connect with what you're, what you're saying, they'll reach out to you, and we'll have your, your URLs all over the place, which is why you're on the show, right? Like, that's, that's totally cool. And I, I, I support your message that says get a coach. I, I've gone through a, a good number of coaches uh, when, I was, uh, when I was younger. Mostly it was like one meeting kind of things because I just couldn't, I, I didn't seem like they got it. Um, and now I'm, I'll plug the Bulletproof Coach Training Program. We just launched this thing. And I'm working on training coaches. We're doing our first round of coaches. Um, this Actually, in about 10 days now. And, and at the head of the Bulletproof Conference, we're training 160 coaches in, wow. in the, the mind-body stuff. And it's not, it's not exactly the kind of thing you do. Different, and a lot of them are already coaches. But the whole point is that... For me, one of the things holding me back when I was 26 wasn't, it, it wasn't just that I had, you know, misconceptions about money and I had like anger and all that kind of stuff. My biology was jacked. And to do the work that's required to perform in business or in life, yeah. to do that kind of work, if your biology is all jacked, I just found it didn't work. So we're, I'm looking yeah. at a holistic kind of thing where people can yeah. apply like that's great. performance enhancement with executive coaching and that's for something great. different. But I just, that's awesome. I, I appreciate that, that you talked about the value of a coach. I hadn't even thought of, of bringing up the bulletproof coaching thing, but um, for me, this is something that I've been doing for the past few years to just a few people. And I found I didn't scale. And I want to ask you, like, are you training other coaches 
it, with what you're doing, like, like how do you scale? Because if you have all this knowledge and you've learned how yeah. to do it, but you, you can only take, you know, five or eight meetings yes. a day before you burn out. Like, how do you yeah. deal with that? Like, I can help more people. Think. Yeah, well, one way is that I do um, group programs. So I do, um, so where we get a group online and so we do a live training and they get they get they get to ask their questions and so that's how that's one way that I'm scaling right now and training other coaches is definitely something that um, I've been thinking about but haven't been I'm I'm not there yet. Got it. it yeah. It's it's tough because there are a huge variety of coaches and I'll ask you another question because yeah. well your answer has to be biased because you are a coach but this is something that no one ever told me and I'm not sure I know the answer either but for someone listening they've just heard what we talked about about mission and having your vision mm -hmm. and understanding mm -hmm. what you want and you're like okay the way to have the courage to do this is to get a coach how the heck do you find a good coach and I don't oh mean like God. look for certification but like what do you ask a coach to know if they're good so <laughs> freaking hard because there's very little um, regulation I mean there's definitely institutions and training programs. Um, good, good question. I think that you want to be clear on, the thing is, I think a good coach will help you clarify what it is that you need help on. Because oh, yeah. sometimes you don't even know what you need help on. Um, I think you want to ask, you know, what experience they have, who their ideal client is, um, how, um, if they have a program, if it's off the cuff, um, if maybe you want to talk to other clients of theirs, um, what do people ask me? I think also, I, I, for me, it's important to like my coach and respect them, but for some people, they don't need to like, but they just need the respect. So um, I also think, is your coach living and walking the walk. So it's really, for me, it's very important that whoever's giving you support is embodying that kind of information themselves. So your coaches, I'm sure, have gone through and all the, you know, the training, but they're also probably have been following you for a long time and doing the bulletproof diet and doing all sorts of work on themselves as well. And so I think that it's important to really embody the information that you're sharing and not just tell people something that sounds good. So you want to coach who, who walks the talk, yeah, which is important. Um, yeah. I, I'm thinking about that. Like another very successful guy is Dan Pena, who's been on Bulletproof Radio. I, I was recently at his, uh, his 70th birthday. And he kind of lives, lives or walks the talk. He lives in his own castle, Guthrie Castle, with you know, a row of sports cars parked up front. And you know, wears a kilt and basically is, is the the quintessential like James Bond kind of guy. Um, and he, but he'll tell you flat out like like when he works with someone, he's like, I, I don't want you to like me. Like I'm gonna hold you incredibly accountable. You you give me a weekly report. You don't give me three weekly reports. You're fired. You're not my client anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And just like you know, very um, uh, very much in your face like that. But he's had a lot of really successful uh, mentees sure. over the years, including some really big names. Yeah. Um, so there's that kind. My take on this is that if you're going to work with a coach, 
you, you interview them, you ask them questions, you look at their style, but I don't think the decision on working with the coach is as much of a cognitive decision as it is. I like, agree. It, it's like it's a feeling. feeling. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, I feel good about this coach, and yeah, I can't exactly. tell you why. It, the fact that you feel yeah. good and you can't say why, good, it was a feeling. There isn't supposed to be a why for that feeling. I'm with you. You, you can honor that, right? I, I totally, that's, that's for me. And also, for me, my own coach, I admire my coach. Like, I want to emulate my coach. Like, I want to be her in five, ten years. Um, so, yeah, I think for anyone who I attract is, they generally are like, yeah, I, I, I like her, I trust her, and they go for it. So, and, and, and for some people, they want the tough love, and so that's why they they go, you know, they're attracted to, uh, you know, your friend um, who's on Dan, the show. Yeah. To Dan, yeah. So I think it just depends on your your style. And so talking to people, and also does your coach make you feel like shit in a bad way when you're <laughs> off the phone? Like if you walk away from the conversation feeling really bad about yourself and really down without a sense of, possibility and hope, then I don't think that's a good sign. So pay attention to your energy level. Even if your coach is giving you some tough love, do you feel a sense of like inspiration, like I can do it? Or do you feel in a heightened level of energy? Or do you feel like worse about yourself and kind of dread getting on the phone? So the, the coaches who I've found most successful for me are generally pretty nice. Like, like uh, Jeff yeah. Spencer has been on the show. He's a, for nine years in a row, he was like the, the team um, like wellness guy for Tour de France teams and has been a, a coach for a long time. And it's a, a similar thing there. Like, like he'll tell you the way it is, but he doesn't tell you in a way to demean you. Right. Yeah. And that, that's really important. And I think it also depends. Maybe you, you kind of, you need that sort of like a little spark of anger in order to take action. And your coach mm -hmm. should know that, but I guess it's, it's personal, right? Yeah. And I think a good coach will help you even articulate what kind of style is most useful for you. It's hard to just say, this is the kind of style or coach I want, but a good coach will elicit that So um, because they'll ask you smart questions. And yeah, another right. thing is like, do you like the questions your coach asks you? That's true. One of my favorite quotes um, by David Cooperwriter, uh, who's a leader in positive psychology, he says, the questions we ask determine the reality we create. And so do you like the questions your coach is asking? Okay, I, uh, I buy that. Yeah. Let's shift gears from how to find yes. a coach to get over your courage so that then you can find your mission and, and your values and uh, what you want, what you actually want. You talk also about shifting your mindset by using evidence-based tools to like stop behaving in ways that you don't like or ways that, that block yeah. you. What are the evidence-based tools that release negative behaviors? Great, 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 great. So, um, well, one of the things that really keeps people, uh, I would say, unhappy and kind of it's the second trap that I talk about, the first one was complaining, is... Um, criticism, inner criticism. So they're really beating down on yourself, right? And I'm sure everyone has their own inner critic. And um, one of the, uh, a great piece of research that came out of, uh, I think it was in the 60s, uh, Martin Seligman, who actually is the founder of positive psychology, got famous by doing a lot of research on depression. And one of the studies he was doing was uh, with uh, dogs and 
he was doing um, a study where he would zap them, ring a bell, and watch kind of the association between the bell and the zap. And what he found happened to the dogs um, after they were zapped, they would hear the bell. When they would hear the bell, they would act as if they were like zapped by electricity. Then he took those same dogs into a crate where half the floor was electrical and half the floor wasn't. And there was just like a low fence that was separating the two sides. And so he would zap the dog and the dogs would just lay there kind of taking it, taking the the hit. They kind of gave up. And um, what he noticed from that behavior is there is such, there is a behavior that he coined learned helplessness, which is you're getting zapped and you think there's nothing you can do and you just take it. And so learned helplessness is really, you know, this is just the way it is. That's and like, I, that's why we have school to teach that to kids, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> most schools do that. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah, no. So, uh, so, so learned helplessness. So, so what um, he then, he then, also um, decided, well, there, there is, you can retrain your thinking, and he calls it learned optimism. And, uh, and what we do in learned optimism, what's really important is to, the first step you want to do is identify, it's A, B, C, D, E. So um, that's a way to remember it. So the first, the A is identify the activating event. So Let's talk back about traffic. And uh, that guy just was a total prick on the road. Um, mm-hmm. That's the activating event. Like someone just like sped by you and cut you off. And so you're like, ugh. So the activating event is the person was rushing and cut me off. So then you want to be is what is my belief about that experience? That guy is a prick. Right. That's a belief. Right? right? See, is what's the consequence of believing that he's a prick? I'm noticing I'm feeling really angry, like I could choke someone. That's the consequence. D is you want to then uh, disrupt the thinking or um, you want mm-hmm. to rethink, basically. But there's a D word, I'm forgetting it now. <laughs> um, but you want to. Uh, dissuade yourself from the original belief. So is there another way of looking at the belief? So, okay. okay, so if my belief is that he's a prick, is there another way of looking at it? Well, maybe he has the leprosy person in the back. Maybe his wife <laughs> is pregnant and is giving birth. Is there another way to look at it? And then E is notice what happens when you are thinking about this other possibility. Notice what happens energetically to your to you so noticing your energy and if you're noticing a little bit of lightness that's great so by noticing how your awareness shifts how your body shifts when you're thinking about the other possibility you're basically helping yourself rewire uh, your thinking and your beliefs so that's that's kind of a more i don't want to say complex tool but it has several steps to it but you can also just practice gratitude so, so the the example of the guy in the car. Yeah. Uh, I I used to have a lot of road rage, 
And it was like, you know, how, how, how could you cut me off? There's no space in front of me because I'm right on that guy's bumper. And who do you think you are anyway? And I, I'm not like that anymore. Um, however, one of the things I did is I would, I would sit in my car and I'd put a heart rate variability sensor on my ear. Uh, and then I would drive. And every time someone would cut me off, like it would turn red, which is basically my nervous system saying, like, I need to kill that guy. Yeah. And it took me a, a couple of weeks, I would guess, of, of just kind of driving in Silicon Valley traffic before I could finally just be like, all right, every time someone passes me, I'm not going to let it turn red. I'm going to make it turn green, which means mm -hmm. that I kept myself in the parasympathetic, relaxed state. Yeah. And it really changed it changes. Yeah. So now I just don't care if someone passes me. They probably won't pass me because I like to drive fast within legal and safety limits, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> all, all things aside. But the, the bottom line is that uh, it was costing me a lot yes, in order exactly. to be pissed at these people. And it, I wasn't aware that it was costing me anything. Yeah. Right. And, and it was just the mindset shift that we started talking about today that made that clear. Yes. And, um, I think that's so valuable is that the frustration, the anger, holding on to that is just costing you. I mean, it doesn't matter to the other person who's zoomed by. So, And that biofeedback is so helpful, really helpful, uh, especially since most of us need some kind of other, some support in helping us grow our own self-awareness. So I think that's a really cool tool. Um, the other thing that you can do is practice gratitude. And I know, you know, people hear that all the time. And one of one thing people often complain about around gratitude is that they are not feeling it authentically. They feel like they're faking it. And the thing with gratitude is sometimes it will feel a little forced in the beginning, especially if you're wound up or angry or miserable. Um, but the more you practice and the more you look for things to be grateful for, the more that muscle kind of grows and expands. And so you may want to experiment with what kind of ways of being grateful most resonate with you. For some people, it's writing three things down at the end of the night. For others, it's actually uh, appreciating someone verbally. Um, there's you could also, what I used to do when I lived in New York City and hated my job, I would get off the subway and I'd say, okay, from the time I get out of the subway to the moment I step inside work, I'm going to do a gratitude meditation. So I'm, all I'm going to do is say, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for, and, and fill in the blank until I arrive. And I noticed by the time I arrived, I was feeling more soft. I was feeling a little bit more... Uh, positive, but it took, you know, a good seven minutes to get there. So there's different ways of practicing gratitude. Um, but that is, it is really, there's, I mean, that's really been studied in terms of transforming people's so, attitudes and so happiness. We're in total alignment on gratitude and it, it's, it, it's the most important biohack of all is just to consciously yeah. do it, practice it. Yeah. Yeah. But the opposite of gratitude are, are things like like guilt and shame and, and you have something you do called the boundaries blueprint where yeah. you actually acknowledge that especially as people get started in their career, I, I certainly had this, 
So you're young, you're smart, uh, you know, you're working hard and you have skills. You probably have less skills than you think you do because you have no time to learn them. <laughs> just, just between you and me, like, you know. Okay, but still, you, you've, you're, you're, you're going to stand by the value of what you're doing. And it is valuable. And, and you're, you're putting yourself into your work. Um, but you feel like you're giving more than you receive because yeah. you're still you're getting entry level pay uh, because you know you're doing all these things and the boss doesn't recognize it etc cetera, etc cetera. and this happens very commonly when you start your career but no one that I've become aware of anyway um, other than you talks about how actually people feel shame about it like if I'm doing such a good job and I'm not getting recognized for it then like I'm a bad person and you know I'm not lovable and all these weird messages that have nothing to do with reality but that's the way we're wired because we're like big hairy apes yeah. What is your recommendation for people who have that weird dynamic, or, or can you go into it more? And like, what's your boundaries blueprint? Yeah. Just walk me through yeah. it because it's interesting. Yeah. So the boundaries blueprint is um, it's actually a little bit different. Okay. Um, uh, it's more about creating boundaries so that you can operate in alignment with your values because people are going to constantly ask you to do things or you're going to find yourself in situations you don't want to be in and you have to really stand very grounded in what's important to you or you're going to feel like shit at the end of the day. And so Boundaries Blueprint is about helping you identify what are the boundaries you need to maintain and how to actually have the difficult conversation to really be upfront about your needs without it feeling hostile or without it feeling shameful or without it feeling, you know, it may feel awkward in the beginning because, you know, lots of people, lots of people consider themselves non-confrontational and that word bugs the crap out of me because. (laughs) Makes you want to kill them, doesn't it? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, So when I hear non-confrontational, what I'm hearing is a really nicely packaged excuse for not speaking your truth. Because you have needs, like I was talking to this woman the other day, again, ready to quit her job, change industries. She's a nurse and she's like, I've done yoga teacher training. I want to go into yoga. I don't believe in the Western medicine anymore. And I think I need to just go into that. And I was like, really? Well, tell me what's happening. Tell me what it, you know, I I walked her through the vision exercise. And and then when she started talking about what she wanted, there was no mention of Eastern medicine, no mention of Eastern anything. And what we realized is that all the things that she was describing had to do with people who respected her, feeling appreciated, feeling recognized. I was like, you don't have to switch industries for that. Um, you know, it sounds like you're having an issue with the people at work. And people were walking all over her, giving, giving them all her extra, all their, all extra shifts. She was like taking on all this stuff. And she's like, well, I want to be helpful. And I'm not a really confrontational person. I'm like, that's fine. You don't have to be confrontational, but you have to speak your truth. Because if the way you are being treated is actually is actually forcing you to want to go seek another job, you know, I'm sure if you could just have a conversation and say, here are my needs. I need to, I need to do my shifts. I need to do my work. I need to feel recognized for what I'm doing and I'm, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed when I'm taking on, you know, Nancy's extra shift. Um, and that's making me really want to reconsider whether or not I belong here. So 
a boundaries blueprint is really what we do is we get very clear on you know where it is that you feel like you're a little vulnerable and and, and, and vulnerable is not a bad word, but where it is that you feel like you're compromising yourself so that you can really stand strong and get your needs met and do it with a level of authenticity. Because we're not doing anybody any favors when we're uh, avoiding the truth and trying to make someone else feel better sacrificing our own needs. So, so going back to the beginning of, of our conversation, you don't want to be complaining about stuff, but when stuff actually does suck and you're not just complaining about it, you need to tell people that it sucks yeah. so they could fix it or you can fix it or so that you can yes. take action about it, right? Exactly. And so it's a very different thing to, to walk into, you know, first of all, most of the time when we're complaining, we're complaining to everyone else other than the person who can directly change our situation, mm-hmm. right? Um, the other thing when we're complaining, we're just, we're, we're expressing the suffering instead of stating the facts. And so if she were to walk into her boss's office and be like, I can't take this anymore. Nancy just gives me all her crap to do and I'm the victim here, right? That's, that would be complaining. She could also say, um, you know what? For the past seven days, I've actually worked an average of four hours overtime and that's making it really difficult for me to be focused on my job. And I really need things to shift in order for me to show up and be really effective. Well, that makes a lot more, a lot more sense. Yeah. Now we're, we're coming up on the end of the show. And last time you answered a question. I'm going to ask you the same question this time, but you already forgot your answer last time. I for did. So, so <laughs> I don't remember the question. That's okay. Last time you were on episode 91 and we're above episode 250. So this was a while ago. So people have to be like long-time listeners. They need to go back and, and download some of the, the early episodes in order to hear you. And you don't have time to do that right now. So here's the question because you probably forgot the question too. Given all this stuff that you know and all the just your general life experiences, if someone came to you tomorrow, let's say as a client, and they said, "Look, I want to be better at everything in life. Like, like I want to kick more ass at everything. What are the three most important things that I need to know?" Okay. Oh, good. Okay, three most. I want to kick ass. Uh, the first thing is to listen to yourself. Know how to hear yourself, which is an art. Um. And that's why I'm telling people to do a vision and really kind of do the inner examination work. Um, because when you can hear yourself, then you can guide yourself in the direction of using your strengths, um, being in alignment, acting in, in alignment with your values. And when you're doing that, you really are flourishing. Um, so listening to yourself. The second thing to be really... Um, I don't think I said sleep, but I'm a mom. I've, I've had a daughter since I've spoken to you last. Oh my and, goodness, you're a new mom. Yeah, yeah I'm a new you mom. Don't, you don't look like you've aged 10 years, and that's what normally happens when you have a new baby. So, wow. Yeah. Good oh, work. Man. Good work, Stella. Thank you. I read your baby book, by the way. That oh, was really good. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... This is this is a result of uh, <laughs> of not having it. Sleep <laughs> deprived. I would say get your rest. Yeah. And um, sleep is part of that, but also when you're resting to really rest. Well, like um, like checking Facebook is resting, right? 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what we, a lot of people are like, I'll just check Facebook or for me, I'll just watch Netflix. And that's not restorative to be completely honest. Hold on, if it's Breaking Bad, it's restorative, come on. <laughs> well, you know what, it depends. And that is, that is my argument too sometimes. <laughs> you have to know whether or not you're escaping or really restoring. So it is a day-by-day, episode-by-episode kind of reflection. But So to really choose to be off when you're off, yeah. uh, not contaminate that off time. And what would be my third piece of advice to be like super amazing, powerful, effective, to really, um, to really appreciate and connect deeply with those you love and, and to also connect deeply with those who don't. Like the person who's checking you out of the grocery store, to really look them in the eye, ask them how they are, really mean it, and see if you can find a moment of connection. Because um, great book, we don't have time to talk about it. Love 2.0, Barbara Fredrickson, leading researcher on positive emotion, talks about how our body experiences love. And the truth is that love is available to us all. It's momentary. It can happen with a stranger in a moment. It's about having an exchange of positive emotion um, and connection. And so to just tap into the love that is all around you already um, and to really connect because our relationships are the number one predictor of our happiness. When we feel connected, even at work, if we feel like we have a best friend at work, we're seven times more engaged. So our relationships really matter. So really to connect deeply. And I have a feeling I might've said that. That sounds familiar. Cause here's, yeah. the, here's the other trick. I didn't write down those things. I'm there in my show notes, but I didn't look at it either. I just wanted to get your fresh take. And you got your fresh take cause you're a new mom. So. Yeah, fresh take, get some rest. <laughs> so, so Stella, where can people find out more about your work? Tell me about the latest URLs and all that sort of stuff. And I'll make sure to put the URL for that uh, free tool that, that, you're, uh, that you decided to give people. Yeah. Well, I am updating my website, which is whoopa.com, W-O-O-P-A-A-H.com. But, um, but I think that probably the most recent example of the, the coaching work that I do is on work, workhappinessmethod.com. So, um, but if, uh, you know, if people download that tool, then um, I'll make sure to also send them some info on how they can get more info if awesome. they're interested. Yeah. Stella, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Thank you. Such a privilege and honor to be back. If you appreciated today's episode, you know what to do. Go get yourself a coach. It's a really good idea. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Even if you're working at, say, Starbucks uh, as a barista, you can always upgrade. And the way you start doing that is by doing it by getting a coach. And there are coaches who will work with you even when you're just starting out. They're not going to be $500 an hour because that's not even reasonable. But just having someone who helps hold you accountable whose job it is to hold you accountable because that's not your friend's job. Your friend's job is to be a friend and it's different. So go out there, find a coach, or maybe even decide to be a coach after you've spent some time kicking some ass, learning how to do it, get the training, and then become a coach. And you'll probably be a better friend too. So thanks for listening. Have an awesome day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.